me. I, Axel's assistants were fired on a daily basis. I always kept a uh, second hotel on uh, on uh, on the books. And, um, you know, we'd send them away for 12 hours or a day, and then he'd be like, all right, bring them back. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for checking out Party Like a Rockstar podcast. I'm your host, Joel Miller. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese spreads on the market today. They're delicious and healthy, made from a cashew and almond milk, and blended with various locally sourced fresh herbs, vegetables, and spices. There's no vegetable oils, soy, fillers, starches, or nutritional yeast. It's lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher perev, and 100% vegan. Enjoy the show. What's going on, Rick? Hey, how are you? Great. We were just talking about how intelligent you are. <laughs> sure you're, I'm sure you're Short here. conversation. Oh. All right. Let's let's talk about achieving things. We'll go into season. Not a nice segue. We'll go into Rick's tour management history here. So Rick Fagan is a tour manager and tour accountant. He's works for Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Motley Crue, Boston, Velvet Revolver, Guns N' Roses, Audio Slave, Limp Biscuit, Stone Temple Pilots, Puddle of Mud, Peter Frampton, Macy Gray, Richard Marks, Foreigner, Meatloaf, and Duran Duran. All the people that did lots of drugs that Don Foos does not believe in. <laughs> Don Foos is our second guest. He's the singer of the Spud Monsters, an American thrash metal hardcore and crossover band from Cleveland, Ohio, and One Life All In, positive hardcore band. He wrote a book titled Raw Life, that supports living a healthy lifestyle. So my question is, my first question is that you are Rick's neighbor here. And I want to know, does Rick get invited to the block parties? The block parties. There's no block parties around here. No block main, parties. On a main street. He's got the street for the block parties. Everyone loves him in the neighborhood. Aww. We never had a block party on our street since I've lived here. And I've lived here for quite a while. But uh Maybe this is the year I'll start one. <laughs> I met one of my neighbors because I just moved. I met one of my neighbors and, and he's like, we should do a block party. I'm like, I'm in. I swear I'm fun. I'm a really good guy. I was like, give him my resume. <laughs> I'm good with kids. I'll walk your dog. Walk your dog. Walk your dog. And then he locked his door and you haven't heard from him since, right? I don't know. He gave me like a sparkling water. Which oh, nice. Really nice! Yeah, right. That's neighborly. You must live stuff. in a nice neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, he's nice. Yeah, it was, it was. It was. It wasn't even Perrier. It was like some special one I'd never heard of. I think Perrier was the lower stuff, lower class stuff. Back in the neighborhood I grew up in, it was like, here, kid, here's the hose. Yeah, <laughs> I miss the taste of the garden hose. You know, it's these smell and these flavor. My dad was a car mechanic. I right. probably met my dad, Rick. I think you might have. So uh, I'll go in to get my oil changed. And I love the smell of the workshop because it just reminds me of childhood. Sure. Uh, don't know sure. how healthy it is, but taking yeah. the breath of life. Well, you know, it didn't kill us, you know, and, and there was a lot of things that we did back then. We did this thing over here in the uh, Midwest in the wintertime called boot hopping, where a car would be stopped at the stop sign and kids would sneak out from behind the bushes because usually the houses on the corners all had bushes. And you'd go out and you'd grab onto the bumper. So as they took off, you know, and it's lots of snow on the ground and the car's taking off, you're sliding on your feet, holding onto the bumper. 
Yeah, bumper skiing. Try to see how long you, you try to see how long you could go down the street. This reminds me of those like Facebook memes where uh, women live longer than men because they're not stupid. <laughs> there were, girl, there were girls hanging on those bumpers too. Don't kid yourself. Yeah. Okay, there, were, there definitely were more men. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, true, I guess I, kids I, that got true, I guess tore I up guess. To it. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> All right, so. Here's my first question for you guys. When it's somebody's birthday and they say, you know, this is Rick Fagan, our man of the hour. What happens when you're like a famous person and you're always expecting to be the man of the hour? Is the birthday then ceremony a bit of a letdown? <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll go another one. Go Here's ahead. another one. Go Here's ahead, another Don. One. No, Don, I want to hear you. I want to hear this. Let's see, Don. What do we got, Don? I don't know that I understand the question. I was afraid of that. Okay, let's try it again because it wasn't that good. So the okay. deal is, is when somebody, when you're having a birthday or a specific event, somebody will say, this is the man of the hour, Don Fu. So then you get up and you're like, hey, you know, thanks for coming here and I love you all. And uh, I'm going to go home and go to sleep because I'm old and it's 9 p.m. And uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm missing a TV show is the truth. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's the man of the hour. I thought it was funny because what happens when you're like, uh, when, you, when you're when you a singer of a band, I don't know, you're Steven Tyler or something. And they say, this is the man of the hour. You're used to that acclaim all the time. So you don't get that buzz real quick of like oh wow it's my time to shine your time to shine is like all the time <laughs> well you can even ask like rick when you're on tour it's 23 hours of nonsense it's just waiting for the the climax the show you know so it's like rick keeps himself very busy oh yeah oh i believe me i know he's he's a keyboard puncher man he's he's a manager he does all that stuff but you know it's like, like bye 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 sell 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but whenever you stay really busy like that, you know, you end up uh, appreciating when somebody does recognize you, you know, like some of the most famous people are the loneliest people, you know, because sure. uh, it's people that don't know you that are adoring you and stuff. But the people that are closest in your life, you know, might not really be giving you that recognition. You know, we all have some people in our lives that we feel like we're getting used by or or whatever so like if somebody goes out of the way to throw you a party you know it's like i think even really famous people are going to really appreciate that i tend to agree with that i mean a lot of guys they get that recognition on stage that instant gratification but i think that there's a lot of them that really want that recognition from their peers not even just their bandmates but all the people they work with because they may have been difficult and or they know they're difficult and when somebody actually says hey you know, here's a nice uh, little birthday surprise. I've seen some of them get tear jerked a little bit through the years uh, because of it. So yeah, I'd say that so. it has an effect on some of them. I kind of stopped bringing it up, but I had a, do you guys know Mark O'Shea or Trent Weller? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Cleveland. yeah, both of them. Cleveland yeah, they guys. both worked with our bands before with the Spud Monsters. We took, uh, well, Marco used to be a stage manager for us in Cleveland, and he used to always take us to the airport when we'd go to Europe. And then we took Trent over to Europe a couple of times to tour with us too. Well, they asked me not to bring their names up for fear of embarrassment of being associated with you guys, but <laughs> <laughs> too late. <laughs> oh, well, but I actually brought it up to them. And so it was the Cleveland rock and roll hall of fame. And initially when I brought it up in one of these, it was because uh, what do you think about it? And this guy was a big journalist and his, his answer was interesting to me, but what do you guys think about that? And, and it's a segue because 
again, it's like what you were saying. A lot of these artists, they get their award and they're so excited, <laughs> you know, and what does it really mean? Uh, what are your feelings on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because Trent actually uh, helped open up the building. He worked there. Wow, I didn't know that. Cool, right? Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Rick? You know, I, I like the Rock Hall. I think that, you know, for Cleveland winning it out, if you will, um, we didn't really, you know, the fact that a lot of these inductions are done in New York and stuff still, it's very political. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, in my opinion, Cleveland received the honors of having it here. I think that Cleveland should have the events here. You know, I think that the whole back and forth to New York thing is a little bit much, but you know, I don't, the way they're choosing who gets in is a little bit, you know, obviously subjective just because there's artists that definitely should be in there. And there's artists that you shake your head and go, why are they even in there? Um, I don't know. I don't know the process uh, as well as most may. So but, of uh, the bands that you've worked for, which one should not be in there? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, just, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm joking. No, but, um, and you know, so the, some of the other stuff was, so Martin Popoff was the journalist and he said he loves it because it gives relevancy to artists and it gives him something to do. He's a journalist. It gives him something to talk about a reason for a book release or whatever it is. That was an interesting way to look at it. Never sure. thought of that. The other fellow was like, I think it's bullshit because I'm not from America. <laughs> and outside yeah. of America, he's like, we have a band called Finn Lizzy in my country. And he's not and they're not in your fucking rock and roll flame. I mean, yeah. it's just stupid. They should be. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's just yeah. dumb. He said, so they will be at some point. He said, but it's just so it was interesting to hear the different opinions of it. But I liked the idea of bringing relevancy back just to talk about people again that you might not have thought about in a while. But like, even look at some of the uh, grassroots bands that like influenced by so many influenced bands like Smashing Pumpkins, uh, Nine Inch Nails, um, No Doubt, like the Bad Brains, the Bad Brains influenced all those bands and the Chili Peppers. They all like say that band was it, man. That was the band that started it all. You want, you want the real root of it all go to the Bad Brains. The Bad Brains were for hardcore punk what the Beatles were for rock and roll. I mean, that was the real deal. And they were so real that, like, they even bled into the rock and roll scene and the heavy metal scene. Such a diverse band. It's easily my favorite band of all time. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Now, are they in the Hall of Fame, Don? They won't even be in the question. You know, they won't even be in the discussion. No way. But... What a great because there's no money. There's no money to be made from it. You know, let's yeah. do a re-release to what you and me. I mean, how many people are going to care? Yeah. So there's That's not true. enough money. Yeah. But you ask any band nowadays, you know, like through that nineties and two thousands, uh, all those bands were influenced by the bad brains. So many of them. I'm drawing a blank on who set up the uh, new music experience in Seattle. Was it Wozniak? that set that up or was it somebody that worked at Microsoft and it was the interactive version of what I thought the rock and roll hall of fame should have been. It was, it was state of the art. You know, the material could change at any moment just by somebody in a room in a computer. And it was, it was a great, it was one of the coolest things I'd seen. And I remember going there after being, um, uh, having gone to the hall of fame and thought, wow, you know, they, it's almost like they missed the mark on it 
a little bit on some of the things and the way they set it up. And <clears throat> like you say, Joel, you know, you, where, where's the money? And I mean, yeah, you two had their um, zoo TV tour uh, items hanging in there, the cars and the screens and stuff. And that was one of the biggest attractions, but you know, once you've seen it now, what, you know, yeah. and there's little, there's little plaques that explain certain things about each artist, but there isn't really, and now they've added some, some video since then, but you know, I want to be able to touch it and say, you know, what about this? What about this error and dive down that rabbit hole um, for an artist that I love or an artist maybe that I don't know enough about. So, um, so it's interesting. It, so I was working as an art dealer for years and people say, yo, how could you pay? You know, would you spend, would you spend a million dollars on a Ferrari? No, but you would spend a hundred million on a Van Gogh. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. As to who, but the reason why some of these things go nuts is when you go to that museum, when you go to the LA County Museum of Art, you've seen a bunch of stuff already and you want to see something new. Well, the guy pays 20 bucks to park. The guy pays 10 bucks to get in or whatever the prices are. That all accumulates, but you need something new. You need something refreshing. You need an exhibit for a reason to go back to that location. And there's only so many Van Goghs. That 1% is what makes you come back. It's not that they have some other crap that they happen to acquire recently. So... Uh, it's the same thing. I think with the rock and roll, you, you have to have different stuff coming through and people keep bringing up like G clays by one of the Rolling Stone guys or whatever. That's not going to bring people into your museum. Right. They want to see Janis Joplin's second Porsche that, uh, you know, she was with Keith Richards in, or I, I don't know, whatever, but <laughs> you know. it'd be cool to no, do a cool punk exhibit. I bet. I wonder if they have, I mean, I, I could see that happening. Yeah. And you and I know every band that'll be in there. You know, because oh, I'd be stoked. Oh yeah, you know you're gonna have your black flags, your minor threats, your bad brains, your descendants, all yeah. all those staple bands. You know, and then you'll have your weird, freaky offshoot uh, honorable mentions like Gigi Allen for the freaks. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know. So the problem will be the be, guy. Then there'll be a four foot eleven statue of Don. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The Donnie problem James will be like Dio. finding all those people with the ten bucks to get in. Maybe for the punk exhibit, yeah. it'll be five dollars. It'll be five bucks, never to change, like uh, Ian McKay did. Yeah. We know what you guys can afford, and please don't okay. damage anything on the way out. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Please don't touch Janice's car on the way out. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's worth more than all your crap combined. Thank you. Yeah, so yeah. Have people throw donations in a pisser on the way out. You know, right into the. Yeah. <laughs> Be good. All right. So they're doing this thing now with Walmart where you, uh, they want to set it up where it's all self, self checkout and people are furious. I wanted to see, what do you think about that, Don? So I know you have, I don't want to say dietary restrictions because you're not restricted to anything. You have, you choose what you, yeah. what you eat. So when, can you buy food at a supermarket? You, how, how picky are, how do you do? Yeah. Where, do you, where do you get your food? Nowadays, you can find something that that's suitable for a vegan and um, very accommodating in a lot of places. A lot of stuff I could eat, you know, if I'm going through uh, Walmart or Target or something. The thing I hate about self-checkout, I already have a job. Don't make me pack bags. You know, it's like you got people to do that. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like. But I found it's, funny. It was, it was like, yeah, well, that's where the people steal stuff. And whenever you say that, you're like, you're the people stealing the stuff because you're the one who brought <laughs> it up, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, woohoo, chips ahoy, not going to tell anybody. But doesn't it take some nuts, though, for somebody to be like, you know what? 
we're not going to pay somebody to do it. You're going to buy your own stuff. You're going to be our cashier. You're going to work for us. See, I think the way they do it is they scream back to the future part three, right? No, part two. It's part two. Yeah, they scream yeah. back to the future part two. And they're like, this is you. And then you're really <laughs> excited to, like, do your own yeah. work. My one is they, do they charge you guys for plastic bags there? No. We got to pay. They tried it for a minute. They tried it for a minute, but it didn't work. They took, uh, we have a one chain row in this area called Giant Eagle, and they took all the blue bags. I was like, bring your own. Oh, well, that's people right. Went, people would go shopping and then get all the way up, check out, and have no bags. So it was a yeah. mess. And then they started bringing the bags back for 10 cents, and then people refused to pay. So now they've just completely thrown it out the window. So we're 10 yeah. cents. It sucks, man. We're 10 cents everywhere. But Home Depot? No 10 cents. It's just at the supermarkets. But they yeah. made these really thick, heavy-duty plastic bags. So now you're using way, way more plastic. And uh, now what's happening is you, you program it in your phone. You go pick up your stuff. So they have it bagged already for you. <laughs> so yeah, you're going yeah. through way, way more than I think you were before. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, definitely a lot more waste on that side. You know, and, and the thing with these self-checkout things, you know, for me – it takes jobs away. Now I understand, you know, we've got a little issue with people making more money sitting at home than they, than yeah. they are if they're going to work. So I know that there's a, a, a balance that has to happen in this country as far as minimum wage, all these sort of things, what is a fair wage for that jobs, et cetera. But I think that, um, you know, I, I feel the same way. I go to Costco and they're, they're shoving. They, here's the funny thing. They've got 10 employees lined up shoving you toward the self checkout lines. Yeah, it makes no sense to me. And, and the one girl said to me, "Yeah, yeah, come, you should check it out." I said, "Listen, you want to keep your job?" She said, "I love my job." I said, "Well, then I'm going to go over here and wait for your colleagues to check me out, because I feel that you know, it's going to come to that. I mean, just like McDonald's has been threatening because they can't find people that a want to work for you know ten bucks an hour, which isn't you know push a couple buttons, hand them a bag of fries, fifteen, twenty, whatever the state uh, minimum would be or whatever." And then you've got, uh, so it's easier for them to put the, you know, we're going to go in, punch everything in, then there'll be one person that just hands you your food, and that's it. Uh, they're just running into a problem right now with uh, with the whole employment issues. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. I mean, I, I support people making a decent, fair wage. However, you know, the government says, okay, little small business, we want you to raise the, the, the wages that you pay these people. However, it's the big corporations that are, you know, the the Walmarts and the uh, Home Depots that are causing these issues uh, and causing prices to go up. I mean, even this whole thing with wood and stuff right now. Yeah, it's rough. thing on TV the other day, you know, it's it's the mills. So if the government's going to get involved in some of this, get involved and stop the mills from letting, you know, hundreds of trains full of trees just sit there until the market goes up and then cut them, you know. So I don't know. It's above my pay grade a little bit, but I, I think that, you know, we, we need to get this country back on track a little bit with, you know, some sort of balance and that sort of stuff and what our workforce and things like that and trades and yeah. Cause I mean, even rock and roll, you know, it's a trade, you know, I mean, look, look not, not anybody can go and grab a guitar or, you know, tune a set of drums or program lights. I mean, there are skills involved. However, it was one of the industries that was left to hang out. It was I, I, maybe even the only industry that I'm aware of that hung out there during this whole recession that doesn't seem like the government, you know, and I'm not just talking touring personnel. I'm talking the venues and everything. It was like, okay, well, you know, entertainment's gone. But for some reason, basketball, football, 
baseball seemed to be able to pepper in some things in there. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all comes back. Well, they had those really cool cardboard cutouts of people in the stands, and that was fun. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that was really neat. I wish I could have submitted my picture for one. I would have liked to have been in we the crowd. We all, all wish that you could have submitted your picture. <laughs> Just the, yeah, whole, was the whole row of Rick Figgins. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably some people who would not have liked that. <laughs> no, that's that's impossible. Impossible. So yeah. numbers, speaking numbers. So have you? do you do accounting outside of touring ever? I went to college for uh, my original, how I started in touring. I went to, was going to college here in, in Cleveland at Cleveland state to be a CPA. Okay. I always loved math. I always loved numbers. It was always my thing. And then um, a friend of mine who was in the touring industry, he had worked for a local band here in Cleveland who ended up um, signing with left bank management, Alan Kovacs company back in the day. And so he got tied into the international touring scene and, I had graduated high school. I was going to college and he said, Hey, look, you know, I'd, I'd done some work with some local bands uh, here in Cleveland, just helping friends out. Hey, will you negotiate this deal for us? We're working with this nightclub. So I would go in, I was 16 years old, oh. started doing that. You know, <laughs> my mom would drop me off when I was 15 and a half to walk in the back door, cut the deal, grab the money. And then I'd have to leave because I wasn't old enough to be in the club. And, uh, and the bands would kind of do their thing. So, but it never was a career that I set out or I had set out to be a part of. It was like, yeah, this is fun. This is cool. And I'm doing this and I'm going to go and get my degree in finance. And so, you know, I have a degree in finance and uh, never thought I'd really use it, you know, in touring as much, you know, a little bit here and there. And then the bigger the tour, the more involved with budgeting and, you know, forecasting and things like that. So there were a lot of the skills that I had learned, that I was uh, able to use out on the road. So you go to college, are you a CPA or no? No, no, I never took the exam. You didn't take, so you go to college and then how did you circle back to music stuff? So again, I had done some summer work with a friend of mine who was, uh, was a tour manager. And then, you know, he said, look, come on the road. I need an assistant out here. I need a guy to help me with my accounting and this and that. So well, it sounds like simple stuff, but sure, I can come out and do it. And then it started to work into that. And then, because I was good at organizing and having, you know, I, when he wasn't around or something, I would jump in, take charge and, you know, just let it. So what said, was yeah, your first said, national tour? Uh, LA guns and Billy Squire. Oh, cool. I was working for LA guns. <laughs> nice. So it was, uh, it was an eye opening, crazy ride, but, uh, so what year would that have been? You're in, uh, that was 89. Oh that man. So when I met you, yeah. you'd already been touring for a while. Yeah, I was touring for quite a while at that point, yeah. What I remember Rick looking at me just always kind of like, you're just a glutton for punishment. <laughs> you, you, it's amazing how dumb you are because you keep, you know, I go into the production office. Rick's very quiet on tour, at least when I was there. I remember he was very quiet. He was, you always wore a button down. I remember you always looked, but you, you'd be quiet. You'd look okay. You look like you had bathed. And then uh, if whatever would yell at me and they'd always, they were always in the same, get the fuck out, go to work. And Rick would just sit there smiling like, how does it keep coming back every day when we keep telling him, get the fuck out and go to work? <laughs> I'll never forget. Yeah, you, know, you, our, you were never on our bus. I think you were with the band bus on STP. Yeah. 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 So now, on more- STP, I, I first tour I did, uh, Graham was the tour manager and uh, I did the accounting. And then uh, the next- other guy who talks a lot, actually Graham agreed to come on here and I'm really excited. 
Great guy. Great, Great guy. guy. He's very quiet. So yeah, you know, I'm going to yeah. go reel it in and see what we can get out of him. Very nice person. Yeah. He, um, yeah, he has a lot of history with that band for sure. He, he spent a lot more time with them than I did. Um, and then, you know, obviously I did some velvet revolver tours with Scott, sure. uh, at Scott's request. So it was, uh, very cool. Yeah. That, and you know, Chris Cornell, it's like, we lost a lot of, yeah. Amazing people, really, really good, amazing, amazing singers and just good hearted people. I mean, for all that people see of Scott in the news and things of that nature, he was just a really good guy who was, you know, the drugs got a hold of him, unfortunately. And, you know, but he's got great kids and, you know, I, I, I've talked to his uh, ex-wife, Mary, and uh, stay in touch with them a little bit. His kids are doing really well. So cool. Yeah. His son did that, that uh, band with the uh, Metallica kid or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like Scott. It was very cool. Yeah. It was yeah. very cool. I yeah. hope he finds a good path and does well for himself. So, uh, well, he's, you know, he saw a lot of that stuff uh, that went on back in the day. So he's pretty much turned away from that kind of stuff, which is good. Cause you know, you know, how it goes either somebody's going to get detoured from it or they're going to get attracted to it. And I think that when it comes to that sort of stuff that uh, he's going to be detoured from it. So that's, you think that's so? A really good thing. I, I believe so. I really do. Well, he's got a great voice. I, uh, I just hope he knows what a great guy his dad was because his dad was such a good dude. And so that's what you he know. was a great guy. And like I said, you know, people only saw it's the same with Fred Durst and everybody else, you know, even Axel. I get asked all the time, you know, who was the most difficult one between those three? And, you know, uh, to be dead honest, you know, they were all great guys in their own way. You know, when you find out who they are, you know, and you spend as much time as you do away from the limelight and away from the scene, you really get to see them as, as, as a person, you know, instead of that rock star per se. And, you know, they were all just great guys who were fighting their own demons from years past and things that have happened to them when they were kids and so on and so forth. So, yeah, you know, it's, 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 it's that kind of thing. I mean, that's why when people say, Oh, you know, Axl Rose, Oh, that guy was an asshole. I'm like, nah, let me tell you something. I, I thought he was awesome. I mean, I really loved working with him. He was a great guy. Genuinely, I mean, when it came to, he got mad at Maxie Williams one time, who, uh, you know, was one of your uh, guests not too long back. Yeah. And uh, the next day he said, cover his monitor desk with roses and this nice envelope to say, I'm sorry. No you know, kidding. That was yeah, his Maxie way didn't say it. that. That's cool. He was just, he was just a really good hearted person, you know, and misunderstood, just misunderstood. I mean, Don, you know that, I mean, you've probably been in those situations too. It's like, you know, it just happens, you know, it's, everybody has off days, you know, there's a lot of stress, man. I mean, you're carrying a lot of weight on your shoulders um, because it's not you. It's not your band. It's your band. It's you. It's all the roadies. It's all their families. It's the gig. It's the promoter. It's the audience wanting to enjoy themselves. And you're the guy. (laughs) it's got to be tough it's got to be tough so to take a step back for one sec so don so you've done tours where have you done a tour where you had to go get the money at the end of the night after singing the show and everything yeah but you know that element of my job came later uh, in the spud monsters we had a 75 year old lady who was our manager debbie abono that's great yeah she used to manage was she tougher than rick (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, very probably. Much so. Yeah, I'm sure she will. Okay, but she was the Bay Area thrash bands like Testament, Forbidden, and Exodus, and the guys in Metallica were like best friends with her son. Um, so like everybody in the scene. And the funny thing about it is, she turned down Green Day to manage them to manage the Spud Monsters. I guess we used to tease oh, that was your that was your biggest uh, downfall. You know, your worst uh, management blunder but uh so the sweetest lady and she passed away uh, i believe it was in 2010 on my birthday actually may 16th oh um, that's my birthday <laughs> oh yeah hey that's birthday funny brother. yeah but she was awesome man she would go on tour with us we would have 75 shows in 75 days and she'd be on the bus with us and once a week she would take all the bands that were on tour out to dinner you know and she, she wasn't making money from us she just wanted to be out with the bands going to bat for us. She would go and make sure the bands had water and towels. She'd make sure, you know, all the catering was on. Everything was perfect. And these club owners loved her because this little old lady, she was a beautiful lady too. She looked like uh, uh, Linda Evans. Remember that lady from Dallas that she's just a really good looking old lady, older lady, you know, and she was really sweet, but she was also like one of the guys, you know, like, We'd be in the tour bus in my bunk and I'd hear her coming down the aisle like early in the morning and I'd pull my my drape open and I'd be like, Debbie, pull my finger. She'd be like, I ain't falling for that, Donnie. You know, and uh, <laughs> she, just, she was one of the guys. So, you know, she was just fun, you know. And Yeah. Anyway. Are you still trying to get people to pull your finger? <laughs> all the time. My, yeah, kid, my, my kid still goes. Super surprised. <laughs> yeah. That's why we need the checkout lady. So he has someone to talk to. Oh yeah. My yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never a boring moment in my life. <laughs> not. All right. Let's see what else we got on here. So, uh, so you're, you don't drink, you're a vegan. Um, you're doing a punk show and you got super, super drunk Joel <laughs> and he's coming up. How do you deal with the excessively drunk fan? Is it irritating to you? Do you accept it? I'm I'm interested in that dichotomy of like, I appreciate you coming to my show, but you're also like in my face right now and you just stink of alcohol. And if you didn't know anything about me, I don't drink. I'm, I'm an incredibly tolerant person. If somebody pays their hard earned money and that's their outlet to take intoxication and come up and there's always that drunk guy at the end of the night, every night that's yep. like, you guys, oh man, I love you. And they hug you really hard. And you're like, oh, geez, you know, but whatever, you know, it's like, they're, they're voicing appreciation, although it's laden with intoxication. And I'm just, I'm like, thank you so much for coming out. You know, whatever, it's cool. You know, and uh, I, I always roll with it. You know, I mean, yeah, if somebody comes up, to. yeah, somebody comes up blazing fisticuffs, you know, I mean, then they obviously, if they're not there for the right reason, then I'll, I'll sock them. But yeah. I, I haven't had to do that, you know. So did you write in the uh, roses for Axl Rose there on like the Torah accounting book? Was it a charge? $85 Maxie Williams roses. <laughs> a little more, quick, than 80, little more than 85 bucks. <laughs> $400 memo. Axel being a dick to poor Maxie. <laughs> Maxie's going to get fired again. <laughs> again. <laughs> again. Again. Well, that was just the thing on that tour. It was the same thing when I worked for Richard Marks years ago. You know, Richard... So I think he still holds the record for rotating the same set of monitor engineers through multiple times. Axel, um, or not Axel, uh, Maxi got fired from guns. He told me, I think he said that. 
I don't know. They all say the same. I'm number monitor number 85. They all have like the same number though. Everybody you talk to, every monitor. Yeah. Engineer. <laughs> yeah, Richard had, you know, a monitor engineer. They Some of them lasted one day. Some of them would last a week. And then it got to the point where I said, okay, we have no more monitor. Okay, we'll start back at the beginning of the list, see if they'll come back. It just kept going through, going through. <laughs> yeah, and then I worked with him years later and he said, uh, I said, man, you are such a different guy. And he said, I finally get the joke. <laughs> I yeah. finally get the joke that is the music business. You know, you just got to get the joke one day and then everything's all is well in the world. You know, you're just fine. So it was kind of funny. That guy had some mega hits, man. Yeah. You know, there's just not a big market for single white male solo artists anymore, you know, and especially in the, in the love area, you know, him, Michael Bolton, you know, and- Buble, Michael Buble, <laughs> Buble's yeah, doing Buble. well, but he, you know, blue Buble, he kind of fit that Kroner vibe, which those guys didn't really do. You know, so he's taken over that Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., you know, uh, Dean Martin kind of vibe, which I think that that's the kind of stuff that stands the test of time. Um, I love listening to him, and it reminds me of listening to the Frank Sinatra songs that I love as well. So mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, that's why I think that kind of stayed and has gained uh, momentum where, you know, some of the ballad singers didn't fare so well at some point, but you know, it could come back, it, you know, it could, it could all change, you know, it could all change. Now, what I remember from you, I remember sitting in the bus and you were going to go to a band called the counting crows. And I remember like that lucky fucker because <laughs> I loved the counting crows. We only did one show with them. I think it was before you left, I think, but, um, Probably was a festival show we did. It was a festival show, but they were on the other stage. And I remember running over there to try and hear any part, because I really, really do like them, to hear anything. And I remember uh, Charlie coming, We're, you know, get your butt back here, wherever it was. Hey, can you go check on the water supply? Whatever it was. And uh, I had to go back, and I never got to see them play or anything like that. But uh, I, remember, I remember you going, and I remember thinking how lucky you were to go see them perform. I worked for Counting Crows and Live. I was a joint accountant between the two bands. So, um, you know, that was a bit challenging because a lot of things were split. Some things weren't. So, you know, there was a lot of pieces to the puzzle and every receipt, uh, you know, had to go through several different uh, um, eyes in order for uh, it to be approved for this and that. But it was, I mean, both sides were really great guys to work with. I mean, it was a it was a great tour. We It was very successful. I think they did it again years later, like two or three years later. They did that joint tour again, then with another band in front. But, yeah, they were a great bunch of guys. Just hit after hit with them, too. You know, oh, songs okay. that I didn't even remember they sang. I was like, oh, yeah. It's just it was in the songwriting. They're amazing yeah. songwriters. And then yeah. Adam can really, really sing. He has that voice that sucks you in. And then the live guy, I mean, he's supposed to be tough, but freaking awesome music man yeah he's a great singer live too i mean still they still at that time you know they weren't as popular as when their you know records first came out their initial debuts and i'll tell you what they all sounded even the musicianship it was just amazing every night yeah really great yeah well the county crow guys were studio dudes weren't they yeah 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 good golfers as well (laughs) yeah so i've talked to a few people from the alice cooper camp you know it's like don't play poker don't golf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'll destroy you. You know, I was like, oh, I right. remember I worked for Meatloaf uh, 
back in the mid nineties. And uh, we were in Canada and meat wanted to play golf and he wasn't a great golfer, but he loved to go golfing. And he and I would go to a lot of these celebrity golf tournaments. Jim Kelly would have one, Bruce Smith, all these big high football players at the time. Is he like your bag holder guy? What's up? Was Meatloaf your bag guy or whatever they're called? Uh, the caddy? Uh, caddy, yeah, right? yeah, caddy, yeah. <laughs> caddy. I do a lot of golfing. He was Rodney Dangerfield for sure. Okay. Uh, you know, but he was funny because he would tee it up out in the fairway. And he was like, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we were in Canada. and Exactly. We were in Canada and Alice was uh, in town and we showed up at this country club that we were invited to play at. And we ended up playing this round with Alice. And uh, at the time I was playing really well and, you know, meat was getting frustrated because we were, you know, kind of had this little challenge rivalry thing going. And, uh, you know, here he is teeing it up out and he was throwing extra balls down, just hitting two and three shots. And it was fun though, but it was fun playing with Alice. I mean, he, He's a, definitely a student of the game. And this was, you know, he had been playing for a while at this point. And, you know, he still plays. So I'm sure he's he's even better now than he was then. Yeah, they say it's like his whole deal. It's his life. He loves golf. Just loves yeah, everything yeah. about it. Yeah. Good times. Don's a, Don's a good golfer. Yeah? No. No. I golf. I, I can golf. I just, I'm not good. I, I said after the interview, we're going out to play. Let's go. He's like, ah, maybe Saturday. It's supposed to rain Saturday here. Is it? Oh. Yeah. Thunderstorms. Did you, did you ever meet Jim Steinman? Yeah, yeah, I met Jim. Uh, well, I was involved in the in the recording of the Welcome to the Neighborhood record, which was Meatloaf's kind of, I want to do something on my own. Jim didn't want to be involved at the time. Okay. So halfway through the recording, Jim ended up coming in the studio and writing some songs with Meatloaf that he had written for diane warren i think and then you know there was a thing where meatloaf wanted him so he came in and very eccentric but very cool guy i mean he was it's a shame that he just passed recently he was uh just a talent i mean one of those guys i mean i've been blessed blessed beyond belief in my life you know from i mean i was i've had dinner at Pavarotti's house with princess diana you know stuff like that memories that you know I mean, I was over Don Foose's house today, which is, you know, in my book, say, I don't right know. up there with that. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So and Diana, who I don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> Don Foose in the house, though. Yeah, <laughs> it's Pavarotti. Pavarotti. I mean, listen, we just painted that backdrop there, so you could have a nice backdrop for the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were gonna go with something else. It does look but good. The, the funny thing is, you're calling all these guys you're connected with. You're like, yeah, meet. Yeah, Meat moved up and was hitting out of the fairway. And then Alice, you'd be like, oh, you're playing golf with some some freaking meathead and uh, and some lady. You know, it's like all these guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, Alice and that meat guy, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hello, Meat. So Meatloaf, I've been told now he has health issues, I guess. So I don't know if he'll tour again is what I heard, which it was public, I think. But he had a big influence. He he did a Rolling Stone article and he talked about his influences. And one of them was a guy named Frankie Miller, who was a Irish uh, rock and roll guy. And uh, I just, I like Meatloaf a lot. And so I had written these names down to go seek who these guys were. Frankie Miller is very, very, very cool. And a lot of people don't know who he is. I'd say the majority. Mm-hmm. Check out Frankie Miller and in this weird way, you'll have more respect for Meatloaf. I don't know why, but you, mm. you can hear 
the little influence, but the guy could sing. It was it's so good. And he's a blues guy from really? Ireland. Yeah. Really I, I used cool. to love that Bad Out of Hell album. I oh would, yeah. I'd turn it, I'd play it, turn it over. I just constantly played it, had the headphones on when I was a kid. Living on a farm, I would just listen to that all the time. Foreigner Four, Meatloaf, all that old school, you know, the Pink Floyd Wall, you know. We were in Modena, Italy with that Pavarotti uh, story. Pavarotti used to do this thing called Pavarotti and Friends, and he raised money for the children of Bosnia. And Michael Kamen was the conductor for Pavarotti's orchestra. He was the only American guy Pavarotti would ever have worked with in his and had worked with in his entire career. But, uh, you know, Michael was there at the time. Just what a cool guy, you know, just chat like we're chatting right now. You'd never in a million years know that this would be that guy who would conduct that orchestra for this guy named Pavarotti. You know, it was, it so, was, it, yeah, it was, you know, mm-hmm. even, and I respected it then, but even more now, you know, that I know more history more, you know, as you get older, you kind of go, wow, that was a special moment to see all that go down, you know? It is. It really is. It's where all the little things work together well. And then when you hear it, you're kind of like, oh, that was as good as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. 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 It was great. Yeah. So um, reading up on you, you were a Hare Krishna for a while, Don. So still am, you know, still I, are. okay. Yeah, so yeah, practice. how, how, how did you get into it? And uh, I don't know. What does it mean? Well, Spud Monsters went on tour with the Cro-Mags back in 1995, and that was John Joseph's uh, reunion to the band. You know, they parted ways with Harley, and John took over, and we had some dates, a couple weeks of shows with the Cro-Mags and the Spud Monsters. And when we were on tour, he had these neck beads on, the wooden neck beads called Tulsi. So Tulsi is a sacred plant in India, and you wear it around your neck, and it makes... It's like a dog collar. You're a devotee of Krishna, of God, you know? So I don't know. I saw his neck beads. I thought they were cool. And he's like, yeah, I'll get you a set. When we go to New York, our temp, our show, we were touring through New York city. So then um, he had this incense. He was burning, you know, in the clubs every night. And I thought it smelled really good. And he's like, yeah, I'll get you that when we go to the temple. I'm like, what do you got? Like this store in your temple. And he's like, oh yeah, man, you're going to love it. So, you know, he, and then he gives me a book, you know, one night at a, at a club, he's like, yo, enlighten yourself, mystic New York accent. And he gives me this book and the book was called On the Way to Krishna. And all I had ever heard of with the Hare Krishnas was from the movie Airplane and they were freaky, bald guys <laughs> dancing around. They, they did a poor job of uh, depicting what they're all about. But I was reading this book. Well, it is it was, a newer religion I was reading, so maybe they hadn't developed this all that by that point. Well, it's actually considered the oldest religion. It's the really? it's called Sanatana Dharma, yeah, which is eternal universal religion. It was before there were sects. It was just love of God. It so was it was popularized in the sixties, but Yeah, he brought it over like Srila Prabhupada, our spiritual master, he brought it to America in nineteen sixty six. Okay. Uh, at the age of uh 79 i think whenever he he brought over and um yeah it was incredible you know he came and he was teaching people you know about life and he was transforming drug addicted hippies that were like addicted to sex and drugs and rock and roll and all that stuff and making them inquire 
It's in the, in the Eastern scriptures. It's atato brahma jigyasya. That's when one inquires, what's the purpose of life? Sorry, what was and, that, Rick? Can you repeat that again, Rick? Sorry. Could you there'll help? be a test on this, yeah. <laughs> help us out. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, he's, he was the smart one on tour. He was always the smart one. Oh, he, he's, he's very intelligent. He's, he's my very, one friend. very smart, this guy. Yeah, he's my one friend that knows at least a little bit about everything. He does. It's like, I I'll ask him that. some. Hey, he's a modern-day Cliff Clavin. But, well, he's got <laughs> <laughs> But it's awesome. But anyway, you know, I got into the philosophy. I was reading about it, and, you know, and I was learning that, you know, like, hey, you know, we look at food like a hamburger or chicken or something is a meal. But it goes deeper than that. Where did that come from? You know, it came from a cow or a chicken. And that cow or chicken, they had a family and they feel pain. You know, you cut them, they bleed, they feel pain. And and uh, they have feelings, you know, when a calf is taken away from a cow, they cry. They both cry to be reunited. So after reading stuff like that, it was like there were truths that I just could not help but, you know, buy into. And then I was like, I got to find out a little bit more about this stuff. I was kind of like buying into it. You know, I was like, this is some really heavy, heavy stuff. And John, every day would just teach me more and more about it. I'm like, wow, I, I guess I'm one of you because I, I believe in this stuff, you know. And you don't eat fish either? Yeah, no meat, fish, eggs. Uh, I go beyond that, and I don't do dairy or anything, you know, so I just do plant-based. So with plants, I was told they did a study, and a plant will scream, too, when you cut it. It it depends, yeah. Like, um, there's that reaction. Yeah, Like, we don't even believe in unnecessarily killing plants. And that's just to survive, to eat. But everything, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, you know, that's the scripture I was mm-hmm. reading from that Rick was appreciating that I had here today. Uh, you know, it says that, you know, don't unnecessarily kill. Everything should be an offering of love to God. So when you're hungry, you eat plant-based things. The difference between killing a plant and killing a cow that's, you know, really cognitive, that like really does have emotions and feelings and all that. and you know, you're not killing a tree if you're picking an apple and eating it. You know, it's like getting a haircut. You know, it's like, it's it's different. Yeah. Enough with the hair jokes for crying. What the heck? Man? Hey, you're, you're Hare Krishna. Jeez. <laughs> I look the part. I look the part. Yeah. You're on your way. Uh, you look good in that hat. <laughs> it was the hat. entrance. It's the entrance fee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the entrance fee. I like that. So uh, who are you looking to go on tour with next, Rick? Do you have anything lined up? And are uh, you doing dates with uh, your band? Because I saw the music video that you had on your site, and I really liked it with uh, One For All In. One Life All In, sorry. Oh, you Basically, what do you guys got going on next? I think oh, One Life All In? Yeah. Uh, I had to cancel two tours in Europe uh, this past year, so... Um... We're recording a new album right now. France is still pretty messed up. That's where my band lives. They all live in Lyon, France. So, oh, yeah. I'm going to so, have uh, Terry Alou on here. Terry's from uh, Lyon. He was oh, really? for Minin of uh, Great White, right? I think. Oh, really? Yeah. Great White was Jack XYZ. Russell, I think. XYZ. Yeah, he oh, came. Terry. I worked with XYZ. Oh, cool. That's a whole nother story, and that is definitely not a PG show. But yeah, they were they, <laughs> they were really good guys. I had a blast with those guys, man. But they were they were crazy. They were crazy <laughs> in a good way, but they were crazy. Yeah, 
this crazy French. It's the only tour yeah. I actually left. It was that crazy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You're pretty good at turning a blind eye and just doing your own thing. Yeah. Well, it's until you uh, realize we could all be going to jail. So I figured uh, it might not yeah. be. Better get out. I saw Shawshank Redemption. Accountants don't do good in jail. <laughs> yeah. So you do the warden's books. We'll come save you, Rick. We'll keep out of there. We'll keep. How could you be so obtuse? I, I do my own QuickBooks now. You'd be proud of me. I am proud of you. I'm proud of anybody that can, let me tell you, anybody that can take care of their business on the backside of the business is, uh, is impressive. It's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work, but I'm very detail oriented now. The accountant I do have his laughs every year. He's like, you, you don't need to write this much memos. I'm like, it ain't for you. It's for me. You yeah, know? right. Exactly. I'm like, I can't remember anymore. So I look, look back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I need more of that stuff. I would send in QuickBook reports and the accountants like, we just want a spreadsheet. I said, oh man, I, I can't, I can't do accounting in a spreadsheet. It's like, I need notes. I need it all to flow through a system and I need to micronize each receipt down to, you yeah. know, whose pennies or what, but yeah. Yeah. So a question I try to ask everybody, um, I had this, uh, my buddy's daughter is fifth grade and she, uh, she said, when you do your podcast, you need to ask everybody when they first felt famous. So this is a fifth grader. Okay. As a kid. So to make it a broader question, cause I like the idea of it. When was the first time you felt famous celebrity felt good about yourself, knew you were on the right path. There was a moment in time where you smiled and went, this is cool. Some event that makes you think, uh, worth it it's worth telling something that was important in your life go ahead don uh, okay this could take a minute but um take when time. i was when i was in 11th grade in high school i went to the cleveland coliseum that's where the big concerts came iron maiden iron maiden was on tour nice. and twist twisted sister was on the stay hungry uh tour great band so my buddy and i uh dave nemeth we went Got all drunk that night. I was a drinker back then in high school. And uh, we waited. We got in. And once we got into the Coliseum, we would come up to the bathroom. And some dude was puking right there at the entrance of the bathroom. Like, oh, we're not going in that one. It's really crowded, too. So we went to far down the corridor till we found a less traveled bathroom. Went in. There was hardly anyone in there. I went right into the stall. And when I closed the door... There were some backstage passes, you know, some laminates on there with a mag light, you know, duct, uh, you know, <laughs> duct tape on there and everything. I was like, whoa, jackpot. And I saw a TS, uh, U.S. tour, Twisted Sisters. Somebody left their their laminates in there. So I was like, whoa. So I grabbed them. I grabbed my buddy and I'm like, dude, let's go. He's like, what's up? I'm like, follow my lead. So we went down to the lower bowl of the Coliseum. And there was a guy flashing the lights. I'm like, hey, I'm with the band. Oh, you were that guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. So check this out. So he lets me through. And then he holds up my buddy. I go, no, he's with me. And he goes, oh, okay. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy just bought that. So we got in. And then we're not knowing where to go. We always hear backstage. But all right, let's just go and look around so we can find people. So then back there, there's like this big concrete corridor in, behind there. And there's like locker rooms and all this stuff and then there's other rooms so we go and we see twisted sister and then we see the itinerary it says 
load in, soundtrack, dinner, all this stuff. And there's arrows pointing to Twisted Sisters room. Like, whoa, let's go. So we go in there and we go into this room and the band's there, there's press there, all this catering everywhere. <laughs> Dee Snyder's sitting on the couch, just thumbing through a magazine. He's got his makeup on and stuff. We're like, whoa. So we're like just kind of laying back like flies on the wall. We see they got beer and I'm like, I grab one, give one to Dave. We crack it. We start start drinking. And we're just experiencing all. Hey, we helped ourselves to some pizza. Nobody's asking any questions. There's a big thing going on. And then their uh, stage manager comes back. 15 minutes, guys. We're like, whoa, they're about to go on. We're like, what the hell? You know, this is amazing. So when they started kicking people out of the room, we filed back towards the stage, went up the little steps. I'm like, I've been bold this long and I, and we've gotten this far. Let's go for the big kahuna, man. So we got up on stage. Then the band comes walking up right past us and they get on and we stay back behind the bass cabinet. And we're like, holy cow, we're going to pull this off, man. Twisted Sister comes on stage. They bust into the first song, which was uh, Stay Hungry. And the this big explosion and Dee Snyder comes out, hello, Cleveland. And everyone's like, ah. so we're like, whoa. And I felt the hair on my arms stand on end, my hair and my head, everything was like electric. And I was like the biggest, craziest, wow moment of my life. So this was like the greatest night of my life and my buddy. So we're going to fast forward all these years, Spud Monsters, all, we do all this stuff. In 2010, we do a European reunion tour. And um, we're playing this big festival with Guns N' Roses, uh, Ozzy and Friends. It was supposed to be Black Sabbath, but Bill Ward, you know, there was some legal disputes. So they had to go as Ozzy and Friends and play Sabbath songs. Uh, all these bands and Twisted Sisters on the bill. And then we're playing um, this one stage. I think it was called the War Stage or whatever. It fits like maybe fifteen to 20,000 people in this big, huge uh, circus tent. Place is packed. First show we played, you know, in the in the longest time. And this was at Hellfest. This was in France. Mm. That's where it was. And last song of our set, you know, we got this barricade that's like 10 or 15 feet long. And, you know, all these guys with their cameras. And then you got all the bouncers and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? Screw this. Our stage is your stage. We put up with this long enough. Everyone up here right now. And I'm telling the you know security it's okay this one's on me everybody up everybody up and you can even see this it's on uh youtube under uh spud monsters on stage mosh something like that it'll come up and you gotta fast forward like three minutes into it and it's like right at the end of our set so um all these people rush the stages three four hundred people on stage with us we bust into our last song which is called isolation and that's the song where everyone just goes nuts so we bust into it with the bass and then the drums kick in and then the guitars and all holy hell breaks loose, man. And it is total pandemonium. There's people diving off the drum riser on top of each other. It's like five people's on top and I'm jumping on top of the crowd. And this is 400 people on stage and everyone's thinking the stage is going to collapse, but it's a big hearty stage. And dude, we get towards the end of the song, all this gang vocals are going on. Everything is total pandemonium. And I look on the side of the stage behind the bass cabinet. Dee Snyder's watching me 
30 years after I was in that position watching him, it was, <laughs> it came full circle and it was like, I made it, you know, I, I'm not rich. I, I've toured throughout 23 countries in my life, but that yeah. was the moment where I felt like I made it. This is it. I felt like a rock star. D Snyder was watching my band. And then I come off stage. He goes, Oh, while I'm up on people's shoulders and I see him, he's like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's like and i was like wow man he's digging it you know so we got off i went over talked to him we took a walk together we took a picture he's like that was such a great story i told him man back in the day 1985 i was watching you and here i am and you were up watching me and he's like that is such a cool story it so is cool. yeah what so happened to the laminate and um i, I still have it and i nice. and i have the picture <laughs> of D Snyder, let me. I'll just pull it up real quick, and then I'll you watched the whole show on stage, and nobody ever said shit. I I, I only noticed him that last song. No, I think. no, no. Uh, in the beginning, oh, yeah, yeah. nineteen eighty five. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, said I anything. would have like, taken the laminate, and then once I was on the stage, I would have kind of put it in my pocket, so nobody's like, "Oh, there you are." <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I tucked it away, but. um let me see if I could find this real quick. You know, quick. I'd just be like, Rick Fagan's my dad. <laughs> yeah. Thanks I, a lot. <laughs> when in doubt, drop Rick Fagan's name. I'm not name. that old. Uh, there's me and D. Snyder after. Very the cool. Show. Yeah, I yeah, love man. it. That's, That's cool. awesome. It's on my Instagram, Don from 108. You haven't changed you a bit, Don. Yeah, nope. right. You haven't. Neither is he, actually. D. Snyder looks great. Yeah, and he's a good guy, too. He's just a really good all-around He's person. a music enthusiast. He's a cool guy. I had uh, Michael Grace on here. Michael wrote Poltergeist, among wow. some other things. Yeah, he's a yeah. great guy. Uh, and I wanted to get D. Snyder on because D likes uh, horror films. And so I thought that would be cool. Yeah, he, even, he produced a great. couple of them, too. Yeah. That would yeah. be fun hearing him. Uh, they asked some interesting different questions. It was cool, though. We had a couple really neat people come on. So it was that was a good one. I, I've known Michael a long time. He's an interesting guy. And it was very cool to hear some of the ins and outs. I'd never really talked to him about a uh, shop ever. So I had a lot of questions too. I didn't know about it was neat. It was really neat. Nice. Hey, hey Rick, let's hear your, uh, yeah. What do you got, Rick? When did you feel like you were? Uh, I never, I never actually felt that, you know, I felt I, I wasn't in the business to, um, you know, have a, a famous, position or something like that you know it was very much i got into it i loved the business side of the business i loved solving problems that was obviously what makes a good tour manager and you know just trying to get to that point i mean i feel like i still always strive to get to that place in my life where i feel but i'm always chasing that guy it's very similar to what matthew mcconaughey said in his acceptance speech when he won for Dallas Buyers Club, he said, I'm always chasing the guy, me, 10 years from now, you know? Mm-hmm. And I never quite thought of it that way, but it made a lot of sense to me when he had said that, because like, yeah, I always feel like I'm always trying to better myself. I mean, I just finished a yoga teacher training, which is why when Don was talking about the book, the Gita book, I just had to read that. So, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of yoga is obviously based on the old ancient Sanskrit writings and philosophies and all these sorts of things more than it is the practice of the asanas the actual movement so it's uh it's pretty cool stuff you know and i love to learn so i'm always i'm finishing up my pilot's license at the moment so yeah it's just a lot of things like that so do you still think you're chasing that 10 year old rick or 10 years future rick rather 
you know, I think I'm slowed down. Maybe it's only five years in the future. That's okay. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe not 10, but I'm always chasing that better version that I see of myself, you know, and then I get, and when I look back at my journals and things, I go, wow, I've done a lot and I've been a lot of places and I've been really blessed to have met the people that I've met and traveled to all the countries that I've been to and, you know, have the friends that I have. And I've been really blessed in that sense. So, you know, I wouldn't, you know, people say, well, would you change something? There's not much that I would change, even in the bad situations or the bad times. There's lessons in everything, you know, and I really feel that, uh, you know, I got the best education I could ever get out on the road um, and around the world and different cultures and with different people and, you know, getting my ass handed to me from an artist, but then that artist and I becoming good friends and things. So there was just so many great moments that I could, you know, I could write a hundred books on. And I just think that it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of good stories out there to be told. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in that aspect, as you know, you've written one. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It was, it was actually a really hard. I didn't think it would be that tough. It's tough, but it was, uh, it was, it's worth it. It's worth it. Well, congratulations on your success. I mean, I, I'm I'm really happy for you. I think it's great. You know, the book's doing well in this podcast. Obviously, you've got a plethora of... Uh, I'm like of, the roadie. Uh, I'm not a king. I'm like the roadie prince because I've just got like every roadie wanting to jump on, which I'm trying to do everybody because it's cool, you know? And I, I've heard some, oh, just beautiful stories from uh, roadies of of just great stuff that I listened to. And that, that story was so good, Don. I was so, oh, so yes. cool, man. Yeah. And it makes me smile at the end of the day. I love it. I, I, I enjoy it. So, That's so far, great. so good. Yeah. So far, I don't know where we're going from here, but I'm of the life of, I like that part in life of not knowing what's next or change you know, is no- inevitable. And it's, it's important to be open and to embrace it because it's coming whether you yeah. like it or not. So if you're yeah. open to different scenarios and all these different things and, you know, just uh, open to the different stories. And I mean, you've had some great questions. Thank you very much. I, uh, <laughs> there were a little, uh, what about Walmart? Oh, Walmart. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, it's, it's life, man. I love it. I love it. You know, one thing I, you were talking about Rick was, you know, all these experiences and being able to travel so much. I feel really blessed that I got to do it at such a young age. I'm 53 now, but I was like 25 years old. I remember the first time we flew into Germany and we had a show that night with Biohazard on the Urban Discipline Tour. And it was in front of 2,000 people in an airport hangar. And we were like, what's going on? Super neat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And the very first night here, I go in front of this this crowd and I'm like, you guys ready or what? And they're like, yeah. And I run, I jump out there and do a flip into the crowd. And right from the very beginning, the crowd went crazy for us. And then I remember we were coming off the stage after we were done playing. And um, I thought there was a big fight going on in the hallway uh, back over by the merch table. And Evan from Biohazard was standing there. I'm like, what's going on? Is there, is there some beef out there or something? He goes, dude. They're buying your CDs and your shirts and stuff. They're they're all fighting to get your stuff. I'm like, get out of here. We sold like over 150 shirts that night, which, you know, for a show, 150 shirts, we were like, whatever, you know, and like over 100 CDs. And, you know, it was like a whole different element. But I was young and experienced in that and stuff wasn't handed to us. Like a lot of these bands, they get recognized and they go on tour and, 
they're in a tour bus from their first tour. But we we had years of just struggling in a van and sure. and all that stuff. But now we finally got our break. Our first tour with Biohazard was in a Winnebago. It was a pretty funny little thing. I slept in the Cliff Burton suite right above the driver, you know, and it was a pretty neat experience. That was our first time ever doing something outside of a van. And that that was another time where I felt like, wow, man, we feel like we have a bus. <laughs> yeah, it's a bus, a Winnebago. <laughs> right. Anyway, thank you guys. It's really nice to get to know you, Don. It's yeah. So cool thank you, Joel. You and Rick. Appreciate and, having us on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Man. Great yeah. talking to you. And again, congratulations. I think what you're doing is yeah, really great. Congratulations on all your stuff. And- yeah, I appreciate it. We'll see where things go from here. Hey, thanks for watching Party Like a Rockstar. If you're not already subscribed to the Facebook or YouTube channels, do it. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The handle is Party of Stars. Thanks for watching. You'll see you next time.